Hey there, welcome to the Hopeful Birth Podcast. I'm Jessie Shelton, your host for the next little bit while we make a new friend and hear her birth stories. Birth has affected my life in profound ways, and I'm not just talking about the new little person that comes in to rock my world. Birth has shaped how I engage with my Heavenly Father, and I hope it does the same for you. So whether you're preparing for a birth and wanting to learn more about your options for moms who have been there and done that, or are processing through a previous birth, I pray that the Father makes His heart for you and your baby evident as you listen. Now, I know this is a small thing in the grand scheme of the podcasting world, but I feel so thankful that I am now in the double digits with the number of podcasts. This is number 10, you guys. I've heard some really sweet stories about how God has already been using these birth stories to spark things in your hearts, and I've been really humbled by that. I pray that he continues to speak to you and inspire you through this space. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast in some way, would you mind leaving a review on my iTunes? That would be really helpful, and it's encouraging to see that this podcast has been a blessing. Now, back to the episode. In this episode number 10, I was privileged to sit down with Megan Sanders and hear her five beautiful birth stories. Megan is one of the friends who helped spark what is now my love for birth. In the season when we were in community together, um, she had had two babies already, and then I knew her during her third pregnancy and after that birth, and then I married and moved away, and since then she's had two more kiddos, and I hadn't heard all the stories myself in this much depth and detail, and it is so good. Megan was the first person I had ever met who had had healthy pregnancies and births with two really different experiences. So I would say that that kind of caused me to stop and ask what made her two experiences so different. It was intriguing and maybe you'll find that it's the same for you. But mostly I just want to share something she says early on in the interview that I really loved. I do think that across the board, every birth is like a growth spurt for me, emotionally and spiritually. Every birth catapulted me onto a new level with the Lord and a new level, I would say, even in my relationship with my husband. And that's been a neat thing to reflect upon. So if we could all just sit here and say, birth is transformative, aside from the obvious physical results, then I say we've had a profound moment for the day. Good for us. All right, enough on all that. Please remember that even though I'm a birth geek, I am not a medical professional, and the intent of this show is simply to encourage and provide education. Please continue seeing your medical professional and seeking their counsel for your care. But without further ado, here are Megan's birth testimonies. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, Megan is a friend of mine from Clemson. Uh, Well, she did. She was not in school at Clemson when I was in school, but I was in school there. We went to the same church and she and her family allowed some of me and my friends to babysit her kiddos who were so fun. And well, I should say that her first three, cause she's had two more since then, but got to see just a glimpse into a family and a marriage centered on Jesus. And those were super impactful days for me. Uh, because back then I, I didn't even know that I would one day be married and have kids. So um, thank you so much for taking the time. This lady is busy and awesome and wonderful, and I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. Would you mind starting out and introducing us to your family? Yeah, I'm just super honored to be here. And it's funny because you said like how we allowed you to babysit. I think we kind of begged you guys. <laughs> 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 we finally look back at that those times is like, oh my gosh, the babysitters of the Blue House group, which was your house church. And we just loved you guys so much. And you set a standard for us um, as young parents in the babysitting world. And I don't know if it's ever been met again. So it was just uh, such a blessing. And um, it was, you know, you poured into the lives of my children. And as a mom, you now know that like, there isn't a bigger blessing than having people love your kids well. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Um, yeah. So I'm a mom of five and um, I have four sons and a baby girl and my kids are actually pretty spread out. There's 14 years between my youngest and my oldest. And so um, my oldest is getting ready to turn 15 and I have a 16 month old currently. 
And then I also have, let's see, in between that, there's a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, and an almost 12-year-old. And so, um, you know, it's interesting that looking back over all of my birth experiences, you know, I was in such different places with each one of them and each one of them shaped me in a special way. But I do think that um, across the board, every birth is like a growth spurt mm. for me, like in the, like emotionally and spiritually, like every birth catapulted me onto like a new level with the Lord and a new level, I would say even like in my relationship with my husband and, um, and that, that's been a neat thing to like reflect upon. Mm-hmm. That's great. I can't wait to hear about that specifically. Would you mind sharing, uh, finding out you were pregnant with Noah and how that first pregnancy went and what that was like? Sure. So, um, my husband and I, um, well actually, so Noah, our oldest son, that's his name. He, um, was actually conceived out of wedlock, which was um, obviously not the ideal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my now husband and I were engaged to be married and um, found out that we were pregnant with Noah and really it rocked our world. Obviously, we were not um, completely living for Jesus at that point in our lives. And we, although both of us had been raised in the church and we knew Jesus, and, and I would even say loved him, but we weren't living for him. And when you find out, you know, I, so I went from planning a wedding to planning on um, becoming a mother, like in an you know, instant. And for me, and I, I wasn't super, I mean, I wasn't like a teen mom or anything. I was 24. And so for me, it was, um, inst- it was an instant change like an instant like things that were important just no longer became like they just weren't important anymore you know like um we downsized the wedding um we you know sped it up we made things you know things just quickly changed and so I think we grew up really quickly in those few months and so we got married in January and then Noah was born in July of the same year and um, in the middle of that, we moved from <clears throat> where we, <clears throat> excuse me, where I had grown up in Charleston, South Carolina, and we moved to the upstate of South Carolina. And so my first pregnancy was, it was tough in the sense that I really struggled with my identity. You know, I think that's something that all moms do at some point, if not every time they ha- add a child to their family. but you know, that kind of, you know, I remember even having like an emotional breakdown at one point, like we've moved to this place and I don't have friends and I don't know who I am and I can't even wear the clothes I want and, you know, have style that I want. And like, you know, I, I, I'd always worked and I wasn't working and I just, I really, it was a, it was a identity crisis for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, you know, you have your baby and everything, you have that baby moon, everything's just perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. you're so in love. And then, um, and, and then that kind of wore off too. And I was like lonely and hungry for adult connection and friendship because I, I, you know, that time when you have a newborn, you're really kind of, it can be isolating Mm -hmm. and, um, secluded in, and I was in a place where I already didn't know anyone. So that was, um, but in that God met me there and I, I grew a lot in him and began to really surrender. I think probably that would be like the word I would use for that season of my life, surrendering myself to like, okay, like I got to trust that you know what you're doing because I don't even know who I am. Hmm. Did you have a certain type of birth that you were planning for preparing for with Noah? So in the midst of all of that, obviously, like I switched care. So when we, we moved, I was six months pregnant and we were the first um, people on both sides of our family, like out of all of our siblings to have children. And so when we moved here, not Josh's family that lived here 
none of them had OBs. They had, you know, gynecologists that they were seeing, but they didn't have, had never had, you know, birthed babies. And so I basically kind of just went with like who they were going to for gynecologist, gynecologist care. And so I just, um, I, you know, and I didn't really know, I, I guess the word I would use is I didn't feel super empowered to make a lot of decisions about my birth. Um, but I, I was interested at that point in natural childbirth enough that I did hire a doula and um, her name was Patty. And so Patty met with us and shared with us and came to the hospital. She met me at the house when I labored and then went with me to the hospital. Um, birthing centers at that time where I lived were not something that I really knew about. And so my whole hope was to go into um, a hospital birth, but be able to do it naturally. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's not exactly how that turned out. Um, and I really felt like I had to fight for what little um, control I did have over my birth. Um, I labored for a super long time and wasn't progressing very far past five centimeters. And so they wanted to give me Pitocin and I didn't want Pitocin. And so we went back and forth for about an hour. And then I finally conceded to that. And then by that point, I was so tired and had been on, you know, Pitocin induced contractions are very different than natural contractions at least they were for me and it felt very inflicting. So the pain felt like it was being inflicted upon me versus my body working in it, if that makes any sense. And I um, was really worried at that point that I was going to like pass out from it because I was, again, I was so tired and had been laboring for like, I don't know, 28 hours or something ridiculous. And So I did decide to get an epidural kind of at the very last minute that you could get one and got that. And then like once my body relaxed, I went straight to 10 centimeters. It was like (sighs) within the hour. Wow. Yeah. It was really quick. Yeah. And I was able to push him out on my own. Um, There was a struggle getting the doctor to come because he didn't think that I would have progressed that fast. And so he didn't believe the nurse that I had gotten to 10 and I was like this baby is coming out and the nurse was like well you can't have the baby yet the doctor's not here and I was like well I can't I don't know like I can't keep it from coming out <laughs> she was like I can't catch your baby and I remember looking at my doula going can you catch my baby <laughs> because like he's coming and so the doctor gets there and he was he seemed annoyed. I don't know. It was bad. It was, it was not a great experience for me. And I know that there are great OBs out there and I'm so grateful for, um, for modern medicine. I have two sons that wouldn't be alive if it weren't for modern medicine. So like, I'm not drawing to dog doctors by any means at all. Um, but I feel like for me, I realized after my hospital birth that I was, I felt like I was being treated like a sick person Mm -hmm. and as a pregnant, healthy pregnant woman, I wasn't sick. I was trying to have a baby, you know, and I didn't want all of that. Um, all of the like red tape and things that were put on me, um, due to liability and insurance and red tape that I just, I, I knew up for the next birth, I wanted something different. Mm, that's a great segue. So how, how did you prepare differently for Eli? So um, three years later, we had our second son, Eli. And I, by that time, had had a little, I had time to reflect. I had friends who had had birth experiences to pull from and really sought out a midwife. And, um, I remember the day that we were scheduled to look, uh, or to go visit the mid, the midwife centers or the birth centers. One was under construction and so they weren't taking new patients. So really kind of just like by default, like we picked this one birth center that was about an hour away from our home and it's in a shopping center. (laughs) 
and it looks, it doesn't look like you should give a birth to a baby there, like at all <laughs> from the outside. It looks very like, I don't even know. It just doesn't look, uh, it doesn't look, I would say it doesn't look safe. It's not that it isn't in a safe place, but it doesn't look conducive to like giving birth, you know, mm-hmm. but then once you enter in and you get into the birth center, it, it's a beautiful place. It feels like a bed and breakfast. And, um, my midwife, whose name is Sandy Glenn, she was amazing. And I instantly felt comfortable with her and connected to her and trusted her and her experience. And so we gave birth to Eli there. He, he came super fast. He was um, my fastest birth. I think it was like 10 hours from like starting to count contractions to when he was actually there. I, I got to the midwife, my water broke, got in the bathtub, gave him, gave birth to him in the water. He did dislocate my tailbone while coming out. That was probably the worst part <laughs> about that. But then it was, other than that, it was like perfect. Like, you know, mm-hmm. afterwards I, like he latched on right away. I was able to recover. I remember I ate a grilled cheese sandwich from Zaxby's right after <laughs> I was like starving and I wanted like something greasy. So I got that. <laughs> and, you know, I think when you introduce, like when you have your second child, that cool experience of introducing your children to each other is really mm-hmm. beautiful. So I really clearly remember Noah meeting his brother for the first time and uh, how proud he was even at three of that experience. And then, yeah, we came home within hours of giving birth and recovered at home. And it was a really cool, um, very different, but yet super empowering experience for me. And I remember just like after that, when like for years after that, when things would get hard or I would be presented with a challenge, I would like recall my birth with my second son and be like, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you pushed a baby out in 11 hours and you dislocated your tailbone and you lived through that. Like you can do whatever, you know, it was like this <laughs> very empowering experience that I drew from and continue right to draw from, you know, super mm-hmm. cool. That is awesome. Were there any, I mean, besides the empowerment, were there specific spiritual takeaways in relationship with God that you remember from Eli? (laughs) So the thing, you know, it's funny. I, so with Eli, I, with his pregnancy, I actually worked a lot while I was pregnant with him. He, I actually was the busiest um, outside of the home with him at that point, um, I was working part-time and my husband was working part-time. And even after he was born, um, after I kind of took a maternity leave, we, we kind of kept with that. And so I actually spent the least amount of time with him. And even like, I would say like spiritually preparing for his birth, um, out of all of my children. And so there's been times where I'll feel like a twinge of regret about that if I'm being completely transparent, but you know, I, I feel like God has met me in that at the same time and that he has, um, like that has allowed, for example, for like my husband and, and that particular son to have a different connection because Josh has memories of him as a baby. Like he was the one who got to see him walk for the first time. Like I wasn't there, you know what I mean? Like, which a lot of times it's the mom that gets to have those experiences. And so it was a really, there's other things about it that were super special. Um, and I, out of all of my children, Eli was the one that I planned for and prayed for the most, as far as like, I really wanted a second son and I, or a second child, I should say, I, I didn't care if it was a boy or a girl. Um, but I really, um, like he was super on purpose. He was super planned out of all of them. And he has also been as a child, probably the one who has grown me the most. Um, and sometimes that also looks like challenged me the most. Um, but he has been the one who has taught me the most about our father's love for us for sure. Mm. 
sweet Eli. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your, did you have any comparison for your postpartum between Noah and Eli, just the experience of the hospital birth with Pitocin and then your water birth? Um, you know, I found that the water, the, the care that I received from my midwife postpartum was a, was a lot more holistic because she also cared for the baby. So what I mean by that is, um, when you give birth with an OB, when you go for your like six week or whatever checkup afterwards, they're not checking on the baby's health at all. They're not talking about like, they're not looking at the baby. They don't have any, they're not trained to do that. That that's in their mind, the pediatrician's job or the family physician's job. Um, which is not bad. It's just the way that it way that it works in their world. Whereas the midwife has ex, has it, had this experience with your baby and cared for your baby and come to your home and seen your baby and checks on your baby at you know 48 hours after birth and then um, is calling you once a week to check on you and your baby's health, right? And so mm-hmm. I really liked that because I felt I feel like birth is such a partnership between the baby and the mom. Like mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think every mom has that thing where she looks at this little wrinkled thing that just came out of her and she's like we did this you know we Mm -hmm. did this together and it's you know it's that um because you have been we for nine months but the world has just seen you you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like when the world looks at a pregnant woman they see the pregnant woman but the pregnant woman is very aware that she's you know living in this pluralistic experience um, and I, I remember having the revelation when I was pregnant with my first son, actually, that um, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you twice when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, you've got the spirit of your baby who's, you know, connected to heaven. And then you yourself are. And it's just, it is a divine thing for sure. And I just felt like my experience with my midwife continued that narrative and that holistic approach to to not only pregnancy birth but also to to the postpartum experience and so sandy um actually was present in all of the all of my births after that so i um she was so i had three have three more children after so she all but one she was part of which is pretty cool that is me continuity of care. Mm -hmm. Will you tell us about finding out you're pregnant with Ezra and how his pregnancy? So Ezra has got a really interesting story. Um, I really, Josh, my husband and I both thought that we were done with two children (laughs) and which sounds super silly now that we have five, but um, to the point that we were actually talking about like making that a permanent decision. And, um, I was taking Eli, our second son, to school, the preschool. So he was probably like two or three. I guess he was probably two. And minding my own business, we were listening to music. I wasn't even praying or talking to God at all. I was just driving down the road. And there was a kid's song on. I had XM radio at the time. And there was like a children's station we were listening to. And this man is singing kids' songs. And he says, okay, Ezra, let's do it in rounds, like singing like to his partner or whatever. And in that moment when he said Ezra's name, I, I had a vision. Like, I'm not the only way I can describe it. And I saw Ezra's face. I saw this baby's face. And I felt like the Lord said, like, this is your son, Ezra. And in that instant, he told me all these things about him that were more of a, like impressionistic things about this child. And the only way I can describe it is like when you see in a movie, a depiction of someone who has amnesia and then all of a sudden they have a memory of who they are, who they were or who they love. Like that's how it felt. It felt like there was this baby out there that needed to be with me that hadn't happened yet. And it was a longing like I had never experienced. And in that moment, I began to weep. It was like super intense. I'm not really a crier, which made it even more strange. And I remember telling the Lord, like, wait, what? 
are you saying that I'm, I'm supposed to have another baby? Like, do I even have a say in this? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, I was just like, I never had anything like that happen to me before. And so then I had to go tell my husband about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember crying when I told him like the same emotions came right back to the surface that had, had been there when it first happened. And I, I, I get done and I kind of like, like, okay, well, what do you, you know? And he was like, well, I hope, I hope that, uh, I, I guess he's going to have to like send me an angel. Like he did Joseph. Like, you know, like, like he was just like, I don't know about all this, you know? I mean, he trusted that I was hearing correctly, but he just, he needed confirmation. And, and so I was like, well, I'm not in a hurry. You know, like I didn't desire it yet. Like I was like, God, you're going to have to give me this desire if this is what you want. And so we went that way for probably like six months, eight months of just kind of ignoring that. And every time I thought that I had distanced myself from it, something would come up to bring it back to the surface. So I would run into a child whose name was Ezra or someone would say something to me that, oh, I thought you had three kids or something like that, you know, and it would be like, oh, wait, I do. He's just not, you know, like I, I was like, oh, wait, I do have three kids. He's just not here yet. And then I remember at Christmas time, we were buying gifts for our sons. And so we were out alone and we took advantage of that to have a meal together, Josh and I did. And we were talking about the future of our family and we adoption had always been something that we had talked about. And he was like, well, are you sure we're just not supposed to adopt this next baby? Like, I I just, I don't know, you know? And I said, look, let me just put it this way. I really believe that God has told me that I will give birth to another son and his name will, will be Ezra. I'm just not entirely sure that you're supposed to be the father. Although I hope that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, I was just trying to get the point across. Like, like, I just hope that you're the dad. Although obviously I knew that he was, but I was trying to make the point of like that one part I didn't directly hear from the Lord. So like, you need to get on board with this. And so it was really cool because Ezra was born and um, we had gotten this book. I don't even remember. A friend, I think had given it to us. Um, it was called Supernatural Childbirth. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's full of scripture. It's full of uh, amazing testimonies, but it was written by a woman who was told she could never have kids. And she had three biological children. And on top of that, every single one of her births was pain-free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just has this amazing testimony of like the Lord's goodness in not only um, fulfilling a promise to her, but then like blessing her by like, you know, sevenfold beyond what the enemy tried to steal from her. And so we really like had hunkered down and gone through this book and the Lord had given me, um, the scripture, um, perfect love casts out all fear for Ezra's birth. And so I remember just like during his birth, praying into that and, and really just, leaning on that scripture during delivery and so he was born and everything was great and we went home pretty quickly and we're recovering at the house and I remember like 4 30 in the morning of like his first day alive having some very unsettling feelings that something wasn't right and you know you're you're on like in that hormonal like, I don't even know um, what what my feeling, real feelings are <laughs> stage, you know, you're just emotional and you're a mess. And I remember being like, Lord, is this you or is this like the enemy? Am I being attacked? I just feel like something is wrong with my baby. And I prayed that I would just have peace to sleep because obviously I was super tired. I had just given birth. Um, and Ezra at that point had not had... Um, a stool. He hadn't passed a stool. And so that was, I knew, uh, thankfully, as a, a somewhat experienced mom at that point, I knew like that was not normal. And he wasn't really wanting to nurse, which was the other thing that was kind of a sign something wasn't right. So it was six o'clock in the morning, I called my midwife who was already coming that day for a checkup. And she got there, I think at like 730. 
and she said that we were going to try to stimulate a stool and we tried and that's when we realized that he actually had no anus like when we tried to insert a thermometer so that it would stimulate a stool it didn't go anywhere <laughs> and um, still at that point, my midwife and I both thought that it was probably just like a small, like wall of skin or something that would need to be cut. Um, and took him to the pediatrician and the next thing, you know, my like one and a half day old baby is being taken away from me by ambulance to the NICU in an hour away. And, um, I know now, like, well, you know, that all of that prayer and that scripture of perfect love, casting all fear, um, casting out all fear was meant for what was going to happen after Ezra's birth. Mm-hmm. And so he um, ended up having to have surgery at five days old for the construction of a rectum and anus and all of that. He didn't have any of that. Although through all of that, we are so blessed because typically that kind of anomaly is seen as part of a syndrome that affects other organs. And he didn't have any other issues. He was actually my largest baby. He was eight one. And so the NICU nurses loved him because he was this big horse of a baby compared to all the preemies that they were used to loving on. And um, they had told me to prepare for months of him being in the NICU. And he came home five days after surgery. Um, He was a Thanksgiving baby. So he was home in time for Christmas and we got to have all the kids together under one roof and, and God was so um, close and near and, you know, I could spend an hour just talking about all of the amazing miracles that we saw through that experience. Um, But that was, you know, that was really, that was (laughs) Ezra's birth and, and the way that he came into the world was such a strange and yet amazing experience. I think obedience would be the word that I really leaned and learned about during that time, because here out of obedience, I went and had this baby that God told me, like, you're supposed to have this baby and this is supposed to be his name and this is who he is. And then he got, it was like he, you know, the enemy tried to steal him back or steal them away. And I, I just remember it's like knowing in the depths of me, like the Lord did not ask you to bring this baby into the world so that he could be taken from you. Like, that's not what happened. That's not what he's doing, you know? And so just with all of the way that that happened, it really gave me an amazing faith to stand and believe and to fight you know, for Ezra and that in those times. And we had, um, I mean, you were there, you were part of that community for us during that time. Our church was amazing. And um, we got to experience the family of God and, and people being the hands and feet and taking care of our other kids. I mean, I remember, you know, we had had babysitters come watch our, our um, two older children so that we could take to the pediatrician and the next thing you know it's been like 12 hours and they're just still there like it's okay you know and and knowing that our other two kids were being loved on and taken such good care of was such a huge blessing you know mm-hmm. so was your recovery personally what was that like in the midst of so yeah that cute? was like a miracle Honestly, guys mm-hmm. was supernaturally healed postpartum because I was running around, walking around, moving around a large hospital at 24 hours postpartum. And I remember my midwife calling my husband and saying, you make her get her butt in a wheelchair and wheel her around. She's going to hemorrhage. Like you cannot like you know, because again, midwives are taking care of mom and baby, right? And so I wasn't under the care of an OB at that hospital. No one was paying any attention to me. And so she knew that I needed somebody looking out for my physical well-being, not to mention like just the emotional craziness that happens. Um, 
and um, I did, I did get into a wheelchair and let them wheel me around. Um, and I couldn't, I, you know, couldn't stay the night there. Um, so I was going home to rest and then going back, but we were, my husband and I were obviously both doing that together. Um, it wasn't until he got after his surgery and he got upgraded to the, um, less intensive NICU that we were able to stay with him overnight. Um, and so, yeah, again, like it was miraculous. I remember, you know, having, um, a pump bringing my milk was a pretty different experience. That was not fun. Cause so at, he couldn't eat, obviously if he couldn't, um, pass a stool, he couldn't have anything going in. So he was, he lived off of an IV for those five days before surgery. And so pumping my milk was actually like super therapeutic for me and actually like made me feel like I was doing something to help him. And so, um, and that there was a support team in the NICU for that. So they have, you know, um, lactation consultants and all of that that are there to help. And the nurses um, are super pro breast milk because it's so much um, richer in antibodies for sick babies. And so, um, and my, the doctor, um, Ezra's surgeon was, um, because especially because of his issues being like gastrointestinal issues, like he was really, um, constantly talking to me about breastfeeding, you know, like you've got to try to do this for like, you know, and I was like, look, I promise, like I nursed my other two for over a year. We're good. Like I'm going to do it. Promise. You know, <laughs> that made him feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Cool. How long was it before you guys found out you were pregnant with Solace? So Solace came almost four, four years after Ezra. And he was supposed to be a girl, but he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone told us we were having a daughter. Like we had dreams we were having a daughter. Um just people prophesied that he was a girl. Like everyone just knew he was, he was going to be a girl. And, um, he obviously was not. And it was interesting because I remember the day. So we found out what he was going to be. We, we did a gender ultrasound or whatever. And I remember sitting in, I met Josh at the, um, uh, whatever it's called, the place you go to get an ultrasound. And, um, you know, we had heard girl, 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 girl for everybody. And I remember looking at him and saying, you know, we're getting ready to have another boy, right? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I know. Like we just, so in that moment, like we knew we were, we were going to have another son. And um, of course we go in there to get the ultrasound and the tech is like, oh, so it's a different baby. And you're like, no, we have three others. And oh yeah, you know, I so have three boys. And and so then she's looking, you know, and, and do you want another gender? And we're like, yeah, she's like, okay, hold on. She's like, oh, you know, it's another boy. Sorry. You know, like, <laughs> and, um, and it was funny because Josh said, when she said, um, he said, she said, oh, it's another boy. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I know. Or that's, yeah, that's what I was told or something like that. And she's like, who, who told you that? And he was like, um, God, <laughs> he didn't know how to answer the question without sounding strange to her. But, um, you know, it was, it, I, I think that like having four sons, you know, I remember reading something another mother had written around that time about, you know, it's not another boy it's this boy and he's going to be like completely different than all of your other boys. And it isn't a disappointment. And I wasn't disappointed by that. Like, I was like, no, I, I like know how to do this. I know how to have sons. So I know what that looks like. And, um, I've come to believe that if you have a, I would say even three or more of the same gender children, then I almost feel like it's an anointing to raise that gender. You know what I mean? Like to be a mother who's raising sons to be future husbands and future fathers is like, it's an honor, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, 
I was happy with that and actually completely um, content with having four sons um, and thought I was done. Um, and, and I will say Solace's birth was like pretty great. It was really uneventful for the most part. Um, I think there was some like, you know, probably PTSD type fear I had to push through from what had happened with Ezra. Um, I do remember when Solace was four months old, he had gotten a, a infection, like a viral infection and had to go to the hospital to get an IV. And that was pretty traumatic for me. Just like, oh my God, I never thought I'd be here again in the hospital with another baby, you know? Um, but I also knew like that, that hospital, that particular hospital had literally saved my other son. And so I, there was also this piece there of like feeling like I trusted the people that, that were going to care for him. And so that was um, good. But, you know, Solace has just been, even as a child, like, um the cherry on top kind of thing you know he was he's just the funniest little guy and um my baby boy and um hilarious and very much his own person even though he has four or three um big brothers and um I do you know my um the one thing about my birth with Solace that stood out was I I kept getting um duck so hey even you might know the proper term I can't think of it but basically like my cervix would lap over his head and close back up and so even though like I was pushing I wasn't dilated and then I would dilate during a contraction and I would close back up and so um, my midwife did have to do a little bit of intervention um for that but it was pretty limited to like one contraction where she had to help hold me open. And then I was able to get him down and into the birth canal enough to keep it, keep it open. Um, and her explanation of that was just, you know, it's a, it's a more common thing for quote unquote older mothers and uh, mothers who have had uh, like several kids. So mm -hmm. that was kind of the one thing that stood out, which plays into my fifth birth. And that's one mm -hmm. reason I brought it up. Mm, yeah, go for it. Tell us about Aurora. So we found out we were pregnant with our fifth baby four years after Solace was born, and she was a complete surprise. Mm. And like all surprises, there's a lot of mixed feelings at first. <laughs> um, so I was 38 when I found out I was pregnant with her, and I had had actually a lot of um, like hormone imbalance issues after solace. So my, my postpartum with salt after my fourth was probably the hardest. Um, and I was felt like I had just kind of gotten my body back on track four years later. And then I was going to like do it all over again, but that was a little hard, but you know, I remember telling my husband, like, this isn't, bad news like bad news is your house burned down like we're gonna have another kid this is good news and we trust god that he knows what our family needs to be complete and um i just really really hope it's not another boy <laughs> I, I don't i i did have some conversations with god like this better be a girl you know kind of stuff <laughs> I don't normally talk to god like that but <laughs> i was feeling that in those moments of just like but again, I kept going back to like, okay, if I have a fifth son, like, I don't know, that's got to qualify me for sainthood or something like five <laughs> boys, oh my gosh, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a surrealness when we actually found out that we were having a daughter and also just a flood of different thoughts that I had never had to have before, you know, what it's like to raise a girl and looking into the future of that. Um, so the crazy thing with Aurora was that, um, I felt her move super early, mm. like, um, let me think, maybe like 11 weeks in. Mm -hmm. And so I was starting to wonder if I had my dates wrong because I could like literally, like not just could I feel her, but like Josh could feel her move. Like if he right. had his hand on my stomach, like she was moving. And so I did a little research on like, what's 
you know, how, like, how could I have gotten my dates off? Like, I was like, you know, doing what any mother in the modern age does. I was Googling stuff and <laughs> found out that it's like a really common um, sign of having twins. And so I was like, oh, then I was like, really like, oh my gosh, you know? And so when we were right at the beginning of my second trimester, we went to Germany on a ministry trip that had already been scheduled before we found out we were pregnant. And I remember we were, um, we hadn't, we decided to wait and we had kept it a secret, like from like social media platforms and that kind of thing. We really wanted to tell our German friends in person. And so we go to this prayer meeting and we were running a little late. And so like, I hadn't had a chance to tell anybody. So literally nobody knew I was pregnant. And we were talking about like um, going out on the street and praying for people. And if anyone like felt like they had heard from God about like things that we might run into, or we might need to pray for people about while we were out and about. And my friend Ralph looks at me and he goes, I don't know, make it so weird. Every time I look at you, I, I keep hearing the word twins. And I was like, Ooh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> he didn't even know I was pregnant. And so I, was, I literally told him to shut up. I said, shut up. And he was like, no, Ralph, I'm pregnant. Don't tell me that. And he's like, oh, well, that's, and then he tried to like backpedal. And it was this, it was this funny thing. So then we go early for an ultrasound. Like we went to one of those boutique kind of places where you can go get um, an early ultrasound because we didn't want to wait. And um, I remember on the way telling Josh, like, hey, just like be prepared that there could be two babies because like I keep having dreams. Several other people have had dreams, blah, blah, blah. And so we go and there was only one baby and it was a girl. And so that was awesome. We got to share the news with our kids. We went and got pink snow cones to tell them that they were having a sister mm. and that was really fun. And so then it was just, you know, all the girly things, which is awesome. And so then um, I go to, I'm in labor and we go to the midwife and um, I actually like laboring at the birth center. Also, I think I mentioned it's like an hour away from our house. So I try, like, we always try to like get there in time to like settle in and like have a little time before it's like time to push, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I just couldn't get things going. Like it was really weird. You know, this is my fifth baby. Like I should know what I'm doing. Like, right. That's what I kept thinking. And the baby just wasn't, she wasn't dropping enough. And so I um, get into like, there's a, I don't know if they call it a swing or a hammock, but it's like, basically like they can hang um, fabric from like a, thing on the ceiling and you kind of can like lay into it so if your legs get weak you're supported by this wrapping around your arms cloth mm -hmm. is around your arms but you're um standing up so you're giving gravity a chance to work with you to mm -hmm. like help your baby come down and so we did that for a while and um I finally was far enough along that the midwife um, let me get into the tub. And so I did that and I still was having this problem where I wasn't, I felt like I needed to push, but I wasn't dilated. And so in my mind, I was thinking of the previous births that I had had and how I was, I had had that same issue. And, um, Sandy, my midwife was like, that's not what's happening. It's like not the same thing. And I was like, okay, well, something has to give because like I'm getting tired and I just, can't, I remember thinking to myself, like, it should not be this hard. Why is this baby not dropping into my birth canal? Like what is happening? My contractions were super strong. Again, like this is my fourth unassisted birth where I'm feeling everything. And I like, I'm pretty familiar, you know, with what this feels like. And so I was trying not to get frustrated, but I was also in the back of my mind, like a little worried just because I was like running out of steam and I still had to push, you know? And 
the water is is my happy place so that was it was i was glad that i was able to be there like i'm i'm also a swimmer i grew up on the ocean so like water really is like very very much a place of like of safety and comfort for me and so that helped just being able to get into the water and it definitely lessens my pain and all of that so i finally called the midwife back in and i was like something isn't right like I feel like I need to push. And I know you say I'm not dilated enough. And I know that I shouldn't push if I'm not dilated because then I'll get swollen. But like something is not clicking here. And so she's like, all right, well, let me check you during a contraction. And and then when she did check me, she said, okay, I tell you what, just this next contraction, give it all you've got and go ahead and push like full on push and let's see what happens. And so I did, and that at that point, she shifted just enough into the birth canal that I went like wide open dilated. And um, from there on, pushing went really, really slow, which was weird for me. Like normally it's about an hour after I start pushing, I can get the babies out. So um, I remember feeling her like down in the birth canal I remember my midwife saying, oh, she, wow, she has literally no hair. Like, she's super bald. And then on the next set of contractions, meconium comes out. And I, my midwife, um, you know, scoops it out with her gloved hand and shows it to the other midwife that was there assisting. And she says, meconium. And then she says, uh-oh. And in that moment, I wasn't really processing what she was saying. Like I knew that there was like, I was thinking like, Oh, meconium maybe got into the baby's mouth. Cause I knew it's like really, really bad if they like get meconium in their mouth during like the birthing process, blah, blah. Like that's what I was thinking. But before I could actually have another thought, like the next contraction comes and that's when my midwife says, I need, I need to tell you something. And she wasn't like, freaked out or anything, but she was like in her serious voice again. This is the fourth time I've given birth with this lady. I know her voices, you know, and she looks at me and she made sure that I like had come around and made eye contact with her. And then I was listening and she said, your baby is breached. She's breached. And I, I didn't have fear or anything in that moment. I, I mean, I could, you know, this was at the like crowning moment pretty much. Right. So like, the climax of your birth <laughs> and that also means like the kind of the most painful part so I was just wanting to get this baby out of me and I remember saying like what do we do like what do, what do we need to do like do I need to get up or like move or like you know what does that mean like she said you're just gonna push her out and I was like okay <laughs> and uh I remember so there was a student midwife in the room as, all, as well. So there was the, my midwife, her assistant, and then a student midwife. And she got um, my phone and asked if she could video. And I told her yes. And um, the next set of contractions I pushed. And Aurora comes completely out, but first, except for her head. And my husband went to grab her because he's, catches all the babies right in the water and I remember my midwife saying do not touch her let her do it on her own and then Aurora just kind of wiggled like a little tadpole and wiggled her head right out and then picked her up and that was that right so I find out later right that you have seven minutes from rumping which is the uh, breech term for crowning they call so when the baby comes out butt first they call it rumping and so she rumped and you have seven minutes essentially to get the baby out before danger of asphyxia and um aurora was out in less than two and a half so she was never in any danger um and i'm so grateful for having an experienced midwife because the reason that she had told my husband not to touch her is that's like where things can go really wrong so you're think about this baby has never been touched by human hands and when you grab them and their head is still 
inside the birth canal, they throw their head backwards as a response, like, <gasps> like they, you know, touch, right? And they, and that's when they get stuck. And that's when you have like a real big problem. And I'm so thankful that my, my midwife had done this before and knew these things because literally OBs aren't even trained for this anymore. If I had been at a hospital, it would have been an automatic C-section. Um, they literally would have pushed her back up in me and I would have gone to the operating room. And mm -hmm. so for me, I just, you know, can't even, can't even fathom that. So I wouldn't have even had the chance to deliver her vaginally. So mm -hmm. normally breech babies need some sort of stimulation. Um, they just are a little bit slower and, and sometimes they actually need like, you know, um, breathing help when they come out, but she was a 10 on mm. the guard. Perfect. Um, and so, um, then I go to deliver the placenta. That's when things got really interesting because I had two placentas. What? So I know, right. So that's where the whole twin thing comes into play. So she literally, there were two placentas. It was shaped like an eight, um, two, full placentas. She was only attached to one. Her cord was only attached to one. But in my mind, that makes a lot of sense as to why she never turned because there was another placenta in there taking up room and she couldn't switch. And I will say too, both the OB and my midwife thought she was positioned correctly. The way that she was positioned, it lay just mistaken her butt for her head and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and she was V-shaped, so her legs were still down by her head. And so I was still feeling kicks down where I thought I should be feeling them. That made, or Yeah, vice versa, up by her head, I should mm -hmm. say. I was still feeling kicks at the top of my stomach, which is where you want to feel kicks, right? Mm -hmm. So then there was this whole, like, understanding that I potentially had had two babies and had lost one very, very early on enough that that baby's tissue was just absorbed back into my body. And, um, and that was weird, right? Like I didn't even know really how, to, how do you mourn a loss that you never even knew you had. And so that was something that definitely added to the process of like, postpartum emotions and all of that. And I really prayed that God would kind of just lead me in that, you know? And so I think it was two or three weeks after my birth uh, with her, I had a dream and in the dream I'd had Aurora and she was full term and fine. And then I had a second baby and it was a little boy and he had, he was really fat and chubby, but he was sick. He wasn't well. And he had to stay in the hospital and he had these big blue eyes and his name was Amos in the dream. And, um, and I remember like taking a friend to see him and, and said, so, but the name Amos, which was never a name that we ever had on any of our lists or anything, having babies. And so I looked it up when I woke up the next morning and it literally means carried by God. And so I just really felt like God was saying, you know, like you carried Aurora, but I carried this other baby. And mm -hmm. so I feel like that I did in fact have, you know, a twin. And when I think about him, I, his name's Amos and I'll get to see him someday. Um, but that was really, so that was a very interesting, she was full of surprises. Let's just, mm -hmm. let's just put it that way. Full of surprises. Yeah. What, what was your postpartum recovery like after her birth? You know, it was good because I think by the fifth, I had learned to be really gentle with myself. Um, I set really low expectations for what that was going to look like. I let everyone who wanted to help me help me. I had not, I was beyond the like idealistic idea of what motherhood should look like or comparison games or like any of the other things that I had maybe dealt with in some of my other um, births where I felt like I needed to be superwoman, you know, and, you know, when you have a 14 year old and a newborn in the same 
house, you're super aware of how fast time flies with these little ones. And so I just wanted to treasure like every moment of it and um, wanted to give myself room to do that. And, um, and that's, you know, what I did, which was great. Mm -hmm. So good. Do you have any recommendations or encouragement also for women who are considering pregnancy might be in their future or who are currently pregnant or who are processing through a previous birth? Yeah, I think that like, yeah, being gentle with yourself is a really good thing. I think, you know, we can only be disappointed and frustrated when we don't meet our previously thought out expectations. And so holding those really loosely, I think is important. Um, and, and they, you know, most professional people who help you with birth plans will tell you that like your birth plan is a loose plan. It, I don't know if I've ever met anyone whose birth has gone exactly according to plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was Ann Volskamp who said, you know, no one ever told her that labor actually never ends. Like once you, you, you know, you labor through birth, but then you labor for your children forever. <laughs> and um, when they're little, you're caring for their physical needs and you're teaching them things. And when they're older and in high school, you're attending to their hearts and trying to help them shape their character. And, you know, they're, It doesn't, it's not, I want to say it doesn't get any easier, but that sounds negative. (laughs) And it's not that it doesn't get any easier. It's that it doesn't matter if you're the the first time mom or the first time being pregnant or you're a seasoned mother. Like motherhood's hard. Parenting is hard, but yet it's also like the most rewarding thing the most beautiful thing, the, the thing that teaches us the most about the character of our Heavenly Father out of anything I've ever put my hand or my brain or my heart to. And so, you know, the reward is far greater than the investment. But there is an investment, you know, but that's life, right? Like that's, that's what that's all about is, um, is, and, and I think, you know, when, when we are gentle with ourselves and we've, we've learned how to do that, we've learned to love ourselves and be gentle with ourselves that overflows into our fellow mothers. And so it allows us to then be really gentle and grace filled for other people and their decisions and their choices. And, you know, I know that, um, I'd say, you know, being a mother is an art form. It's always evolving. It's always changing. You'll figure it out and then you'll have to change it again tomorrow. And none of your children are alike. So what worked for one is not going to work for the next one. Not the same all the time, you know? And so you just, you have, it, it constantly teaches you to pivot and it constantly teaches you to rely on God and his wisdom and, you know, his um, ability to teach you moment to moment how to um, tend to the needs of your kids. Mm. And I honestly don't know how people do it without him. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your five birth stories. Oh, crazy. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. You did it. (laughs) Would you mind sharing how people can connect with you on social media or where they can find you online? Sure. So um, we have a family Instagram account called Full Quiver Family. And that's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, I am a jewelry artist, so I have a another feed called Honor Quest Art. Um, but Full Quiver Family is where you can see all my pretty kids and um, kind of follow what we're doing. and. Um, yeah, our full, full quiver, full of life and chaos and love. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Jesse. Mm-hmm.
The pleasure. Hey friends, thanks for joining me today. To stay up to date on the podcast, like Hopeful Birth on Facebook and follow me on Instagram at Hopeful Birth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to check out my website at hopefulbirth.com where if you're interested, you can make a request to share your birth story on a future episode. And if you're a doula, midwife, or other birth worker and would like to be featured in our Meet the Birth Worker segment, please reach out to me on my website's contact page and we can see about partnering on a future episode. Thanks for listening.